Welcome to Base Liberty, your source for politics. The government is way too big, way too intrusive, we are overtaxed. History. The right to self-defense is a natural, God-given right. The founders clearly understood this. Economics. We can't just keep printing off money, we can't just keep borrowing money. If you think this path is sustainable, then I've got a bridge in Brooklyn to sell you. And more. From a liberty perspective. I've got to disagree with you there. The income tax is clearly immoral because it assumes you don't own the fruit of your labor, the government. With your host, Darren Wisely. Deregulation and decentralization are the answers if we're ever going to get this thing back on track. We need to look to families, churches, and charities, not the state. What's going on? Welcome to Base Liberty, episode 17. Darren Wisely here. Today is Wednesday, September 30th, 2020. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, make sure to subscribe to the YouTube page, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, if it's Apple, Spotify, Anchor.fm, and uh, share it with your friends. Uh, That's how we're going to grow the show. That's how we're going to spread this information about the original Constitution, about American tradition, and maybe, just maybe, with education, we can save this republic. So thanks again for all the support. Today, as promised, we're going to be talking about Judge Amy Comey Barrett. Promises made, promises kept, right? I wanted to give a little analysis of her for you guys, and I just want to say, if you haven't checked out last episode, um, I talk a lot about impactful Supreme Court decisions. So it's a long one. It's 45 minutes long. Um, This one definitely won't be that lengthy, but You know, even if you have to break it up for different car rides or whatever you're doing, um, this will give you more context onto why Supreme Court nominations are so important. And it's not as simple as the New York Times or what have you would make it that it's just, oh, Republicans appoint this kind and Democrats appoint this kind, and and that's all there is to it. Um, There's been some really failed Republican-nominated judges who basically were no different than the type of people Democrats would dominate. Um, so it's really important to to really break it down, really analyze. There's so many different methods of interpretation, so it's really important to break this stuff down. So that's why I want to get into that. Amy Comey Barrett, uh, she describes herself as an originalist, so that's a good thing. Um, she clerked for Justice Scalia, Late Justice Scalia, of course, is a brilliant legal mind. Definitely made his mark on the Supreme Court. Very clever, and uh, his dissents are some of the most interesting things you'll read. I know reading Supreme Court decisions sounds really boring, but Scalia, when he was uh, fired off about something, certainly was not that. So, from what I'm seeing, she seems more of a textualist in the mold of Scalia. I mean, just because she clerked for him doesn't mean her she's going to be exactly like him, of course. But uh, she has a lot of respect for him, as do I. Um, but I just don't totally agree with the whole textualist thing. So she's probably, from what I've seen and from what I'm thinking, she's really going to skew more textualist. Which, again, this goes back to last episode, that can be problematic So before that, she went to Notre Dame for law school. She was a professor at Notre Dame. Then in 2017, President Trump nominated her to the Seventh Circuit. That's where she currently sits. And now she's officially nominated to the Supreme Court, pending, of course, she makes it past the Senate. So she clerked for Scalia. She now Then she was a professor at Notre Dame. And then in May 2017, 
President Trump appointed her uh, to the Seventh Circuit. And this is where she filled the seat of uh, Judge John Daniel Tinder. As you're going to see, she doesn't have a long judicial record. So she's only been a judge for two and a half years or whatever. So there's not a lot to go off of. So I want everything that's about to be said from here on out has to be understood as there's very little to go from. So if there's one case about one issue, say Second Amendment, if that's the only case we're working off of, that could be just her opinion in that case. That doesn't necessarily encapsulate her philosophy. So I want you to take it with that grain of salt. We have very little to work out, work off of with her, but it can at least steer us. It can at least give us some clue. So with that being said, let's get right into it. Um, first case I want to touch on today was Doe v. Purdue. Judge Barrett authored the opinion. And it reinstated a suit brought by a male student at Purdue. He had been found guilty of sexual assault by the university. And we all know in the Me Too era, especially on these college campuses, how it works. You're accused of something. Oh, you must have done it. You know, no due process. I mean, it's happening all over the United States. So now I don't know the specific details of this case, but you, you, you can see how this could be a big issue. So he's found guilty of sexual assault by the university, not in a court of law, by the university. He's suspended for a year. He loses his ROTC scholarship and chance to pursue a career in the Navy. So this is huge, really impactful. And I'm sure on top of that, you know, it's going to damage his reputation, things like that. What Doe alleges happened to him, that the alleged victim wasn't interviewed, the university did not allow him to present evidence in his defense, including an erroneous statement that he confessed to some of the alleged assault and appearing to believe the victim instead of the accused without hearing from either party or even having an investigative report. So this is just ridiculous um, if you know what he, what he said there is true. And that just goes to a bigger picture of... of how messed up college campuses are. So, I mean, this is a great decision, probably not even that controversial of one once it gets to him because it was unanimous. Obviously, he got no due process. I mean, it's just awful that uh, a university would do this. So that looks good. So now moving on to the issue of immigration. This case, Cook County v. Wolf. Uh, Barrett wrote the dissent in this. She wrote a very lengthy dissent, 40 pages. In this case, the majority upheld a preliminary injunction to the Trump administration's public charge rule. You probably heard about some of that in the news. And what this rule did is it heightened the standard uh, to get a green card. So this case is a little complex, but what she's basically arguing is that uh, the non-citizens who disenrolled from government benefits did it because they were confused about how this rule operated. Um, rather than from the actual application. And she said the vast majority of the people subject to this rule weren't eligible for government benefits anyways. So she disagreed uh, with her colleagues in the court in this case. Um, they said that the uh, Department of Homeland Security's interpretation of the pr provision was unreasonable under Chevron. And she said the rule fell within the broad scope of discretion granted to the executive 
by Congress through the Immigration and Nationality Act. So this is talking about Chevron deference. It's not something I really want to get into in this episode, but Chevron deference just determines how much um, leeway an administrative agency is going to have. There's there's a whole bunch of issues with that, but um, it's kind of beyond the scope of this. So based on this, I mean, it seems like Barrett's probably going to be support supportive of strong immigration policy again this case isn't a great example because this is a very nuanced within the broader scope of immigration um but to me there's really no reason to put an injunction on this so now granted i'd like to see congress making the laws not the executive branch but again that's a whole different issue so now this is one that's uh really been in the news Cantor v Barr. Now, in this case, the plaintiffs had previous conviction of mail fraud, and they were convicted under a law prohibiting nonviolent felons from possessing firearms. Majority said that these statutes were substantially related to an important government interest in preventing gun violence. We know how all those gun laws prevent gun violence. Thank God for those gun laws, saving lives every day. So Barrett dissented on this, and she argued that while the government has a legitimate interest in denying gun possession to felons convicted of violent crimes, there is no evidence that denying guns to nonviolent felons promotes this interest, and the law violates the Second Amendment. So she's exactly right on that last part. The law violates the Second Amendment. It does. It's very clear the federal government was never supposed to be in the business of regulating firearms so she's exactly right this does violate the second amendment so she's good on that now the one part i would diverge from her is that um the plaintiff in this case convicted under a federal statute and a wisconsin state statute so under the federal statute she is 100 absolutely right now under the state statute the Second Amendment was never supposed to apply to the states. The Bill of Rights, and I t- again, this is something we had to turn to last episode, and I'm going to be doing a 14th Amendment incorporation episode in the future. Really, that they shouldn't be looking at the Second Amendment. They should be looking at the Wisconsin Constitution. And again, which would mean federal judges wouldn't be involved either, but that's besides the point. Um, when you're talking about state laws... That's a state issue, or should be. I know in today's day and age, almost no judges are thinking that way. It's really unfortunate, and it's led to a lot of problems in the United States, and I've touched on that in previous videos, so I'm not going to just belabor that point, how federal federal judges coming in and totally usurping federalism is an issue, but at least on the Second Amendment part, she's right about that. So now we're discussing Fourth Amendment, United States v. Watson. So here the police get an anonymous tip that someone is playing with guns in a parking lot. The police arrive and search the defendant's vehicle, taking possessions of two firearms, taking possession of two firearms. The defendant was later charged with being a felon in possession of firearms. The district court denied the defendant's motion to suppress on appeal the 7th circuit. That's the court Barrett's in in a decision by Barrett Vacated and remanded, determining that the police lacked probable cause to search the vehicle based solely upon the tip when no crime was alleged. Barrett wrote, 
The police were right to respond to the anonymous call by coming to the parking lot to determine what was happening. But determining what was happening and immediately seizing people upon arrival are two different things. And the latter was premature. Watson's case presents a close call, but this one falls on the wrong side of the Fourth Amendment. I wouldn't even say it's a close call, but she gets it right. I mean, you can't just say someone's playing with guns and then uh, get your weapons taken and get arrested. I mean, that's ridiculous. I mean, that sounds just like red flag laws, actually. And, you know, if those become prominent again, we can do an episode on that. But, I mean, that denies due process. And uh, here, you know, she's saying it's an invalid uh, search or seizure. So it's good they got that right. So where's Barrett on civil liberties? On this case, pretty good. I mean, we'll see. Again, it's it's one very limited circumstance. And, and some of these cases, as you can tell, are about principle, like that Second Amendment one. And some are going to be more about the facts of the case and nuance. So, and when you get more nuance, that's where you're going to have even more differences. So those are those are really the big case. Again, she's only been up there two, two and a half years. Not a lot to go off of. Now, she has quite a few publications because, um, like I said, she's been an academic for a much longer period of time. The problem with these is I mean, a lot of times when they're writing a publication, they, they're more theoretical, things like that. You don't know if they're going to take that exact same approach when they're actually on the bench. And you don't know if they're going to have the courage to stick to their principles. Uh, Barrett seems like she has a lot of conviction, so I could see her doing that. But we've seen, again, time and time again, justices get appointed. They go up there. They do what's popular. You know, They're supposed to be the, the branch of government distant from the whims of the people. But, I mean, we've seen, with a, especially in the last few years, and again, I talked about this in the last video, how even these justices get swimmed up because they want to be... They want to be part of the popular opinion, the mainstream, you know, the New York Times, CNN. They want that praise. Well, doing the right thing isn't going to get you praise from them, I'll tell you that. But let's talk about some of the things she's wrote. So in 2013, she wrote for the Texas Law Review on stare decisis. Again, check out last video. So she listed seven cases that she considered to be super precedents. And what, what she means by that is that they're so ingrained in stone and kind of accepted as part of public opinion that they can't be overturned. So this list included Brown v. Board of Education. That was actually in the last video, so that's a little bit of an issue to me. I realize most judges are not going to come out and say it would overturn Brown v. Board, but definitely wasn't decided on correct constitutional grounds. And then Matt v. Ohio also is on there. Now, that case incorporated the Fourth Amendment to the states. Again, uh, the Bill of Rights was never supposed to be going to the states. So that's also, while you might like the outcome, um, it still shouldn't be that way. So in these seven cases, she discusses super precedent. She specifically excluded Roe v. Wade, uh, trigger the libs here she argued that people must trust a ruling's validity to such an extent that the matter has been taken off the court's agenda with lower courts no longer even taking challenges to them seriously so that's kind of her guideline for these super presidents again you know where i stand on precedents 
if the president's wrong, I don't care how long it's, I don't care if it's been affirmed for 150 years. If it's wrong, it's wrong. Most judges, professors, legal scholars do not think that way, unfortunately. So she points to Planned Parenthood v. Casey, again, touched on that last episode, as evidence that Roe had not yet attained the status. So she's saying it's still it's still up in the air. She's obviously not a super president to her. So if you're like me and you know this case was terrible and should be overturned, then there's a little hope, but till you get to this next part. So she has never ruled directly on abortion because obviously I would have covered that. But she did vote to rehear a successful challenge to Indiana's parental notification law in 2019. And in 2018, she voted against striking down an Indiana law requiring burial or cremation of fetal remains. That was big in the news a couple years ago. In both cases, Barrett voted with the minority. So this is interesting. I mean, these are just small little things that... Uh, if the majority went with, those would be minor victories for the pro-life side of things. Now, again, these are things that should the federal government should not be in at all. Um, if Indiana wants to have these laws in place, why can't they? Unless their constitution precludes it, I doubt it does. There's no reason for it. I mean, she was on the right side. I haven't looked into it enough to know what she based her rationale on. But again, that's why... So and before, you might say, well, we want uh, the Supreme Court to come down and strike down all, all gun laws or whatever. Well, I mean, I don't like gun laws either. But then you have the Supreme Court do Roe v. Wade, and now everyone has to follow that. So that's why federalism is the answer. Because then if Indiana wants to have these laws, and they're not really that restrictive, but we just have you know, these these uh, these idiots on the court who are like, oh, you can't, you can't notify the parents that this 16-year-old is going to have an abortion or, or whatever the age is. You know, how is that violating any constitutional right? I mean, it's absurd. But that's what you have when you have nationalism, when you have one-size-fits-all government. So the fact that she voted with minority could mean one of two things. Um, the promising thing could be that she's willing to go against the grain, she's willing to stick up for what's right. The other side of it could be, and I, I, don't, I don't know either way, I'm just speculating, that, uh, you know, if she had the chance to swing it the other way, would she have still done it? No, you know, it's easy to run your mouth, so to speak, when you know it's not going to change anything grandstanding, you know, like the Republicans in the legislature do. But when you actually could change something, are you going to be as courageous? Are you going to actually do something to change it? Now, I'm not saying that's her, but it's just something to think about. I think the fact that she voted in the minority, she was willing to get to go, the grain is promising. So, And you combine it with a supposedly conservative majority, um, you know, that could give her more confidence. We'll see. So continuing on the topic of Roe v. Wade, at a 2013 event reflecting the 40th anniversary, she described the decision as creating through judicial fiat a framework of abortion on demand in a political environment that was already liberalizing abortion regulations state by state. So that's completely true. Everything, it's a judicial fiat, but here we go. Barrett also remarked that it was very unlikely 
the court would overturn the core of Roe. The fundamental element that the woman has a right to choose abortion will probably stand. The controversy right now is about funding. It's a question of whether abortions will be publicly or privately funded. So that um, that could be concerning for, for overturning Roe that she feels that way now. This is She said this in 2013. She probably didn't picture seven years later she'd be on the Supreme Court. So probably speaking more as a what is rather than what ought to be. You know, if she thinks just like me, I don't think it'll be overturned either. That doesn't mean I don't want it to be overturned. So it's it's likely she's speaking from that. So that's not really an issue. What is an issue is she says... The woman has a right to an abortion will probably stand. Hopefully she does. If she f feels that way, then she's not going to vote against it. Questions about funding. Well, I think it, I mean, they shouldn't be funded, but it, it's a lot bigger question than that. So one, one other comment about her philosophy. She was critical of Roberts' majority opinion in NFIB versus Sibelius. Again, Last episode talked about that case, too. I mean, how many of these cases popped up in the last episode? They're big cases, that's why. She said, Chief Justice Roberts pushed the Affordable Care Act beyond its plausible meaning to save the statute. She's absolutely right. So the fact that she's very outspoken about that is very promising. And, you know, you, you see these headlines. Amy Comey Barrett is going to take away abortion rights and health care rights. If only... Man, that would be great. <laughs> They're a lot more optimistic than I am. No, it's it's funny though. The left is so triggered by this by her. And you know, I don't think it's going to it no, it could. There could be enough you know, people with a more originalist leaning that things do change and that'd be awesome. I'm just not as convinced. I'm not as optimistic because well, First off, you set your hopes low, you can't be disappointed, but but second, these Republican appointed judges, there's some good ones but like Thomas, but most of them kind of toe the line. I don't think they're going to vote awful, but I just don't think they're going to change because, what have I said before, they're married to precedent. She even talked about the super precedent. We'll see. I mean, also, I mean, the other side of the coin is she could be watering down a lot of her feelings just to get the nomination. There was that big exchange with Diane Feinstein, just a wonderful woman, um, where she said, the dogma is strong in you, which was basically a, a Catholic smear. So it could be in these writings and different things she said, or her rulings that she's maybe kept buttoned up a little more and maybe not maybe i'm completely wrong but that's again we have little to work off of her so there's a lot of speculation the annoying part is a lot of people use the speculation as if it's fact well she's catholic so she believes x y and z well really have you ever talked to her i mean she has two years of opinions review articles but again that's an academic context If she's good on those two issues, I mean, that would be a great start to put us in the right direction.
And I mean, they're just they're just going off the rails again. I, you know, I I just said they're the left is so concerned about a Catholic, about the fact that she's a Catholic. That just shows how out of touch the mainstream media is. The mainstream media thinks it's weird to be a traditional Christian, not realizing that there's quite a bit of America that still is. Maybe not on the coast with all you you know depraved, soulless lizard people. But there's a lot of people who have convictions, who stand for traditional values, and who actually uh, have convictions about their faith. But they don't see it because that's not them. They live these shallow, meaningless, self-absorbed lives. And you do realize there's already five other justices on the Supreme Court that are Catholic, don't you? Justice Thomas, Justice Alito, Justice Roberts, Justice Sotomayor, Justice Kavanaugh. Justice Kennedy was. Justice Scalia was. But they're making this big deal about her. Why? Because I have nothing else on her. I mean, it sounds like something Hugo Black would be worried about. We'll do an episode on him, too. He, he was one of the worst Supreme Court justices. Played a huge role in screwing up America. Also a former Klansman. And he did a lot to actually uh, hurt Catholics, especially in religious freedom and schooling. The media just doesn't get it. And, that, and then they're criticizing her for having adopted two children from Haiti. Oh, the horror. Get out of here. They got nothing on her. So that's that's what they're going to do. Use her religion, her family status. But hey, that's what I've got. That's my opinion on her. For her and her family, they don't uh, smear her too bad. But that's just the way. I mean, they did it with Thomas. They did it with Kavanaugh. These people are vile and nasty, and they'll do anything to get their political way. So, really, my breakdown, I guess, just to sum it up, on Amy Comey Barrett, we don't have a lot to work with off her. I think she'll be above... This is where I'll go. This is, this is going to be my... I wouldn't say it's a bold prediction, but my, my prediction. I think she will be above the run-of-the-mill... Republican nominee. That's what my gut tells me. Now, again, I don't have much to work off. I think she'll be better than a Kennedy, better than a Roberts. You know, she'll. I think she'll really fit that Scalia mold. Um, I think she'll be better than Kavanaugh long term. I don't think she'll be quite as good as Thomas or um, Reinquist was, but I think she'll. I mean, we really just haven't had many good Supreme Court justices, especially in the last hundred or so years. So having her be one of the top five in that is like, she could do very easily, but that wouldn't be saying much. But I, I do think she will be above run of the mill. I mean, if she's a strict originalist, she's not, she's going to say, Roe v. there's no right to abortion in the Constitution. The government can't regulate firearms, uphold civil liberties, uphold federalism. But that's out of the question, it seems like. Worry about what is right over president. If you can do that, well, you're doing it right. <laughs> hey, thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed this episode. So I'll let you know Dr. Paul is doing all right. He was already back on his show on Monday. What a fighter. 84 years old, has a stroke on Friday. On Monday, he's back up doing his show. Also today is Lodewig von Mises' birthday. Extremely, extremely underrated. Uh, someday we'll do an episode on him. His story is incredible. And 
the thing, his contributions to our society that we take for granted are, are so immense. So happy birthday, Mises. Everyone have a great evening. Enjoy that debate. Get your corn pops out. We'll see you soon.